0: Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Wherever you are in the world and whatever time... You are listening to this, and I will I will say good morning. I do this almost every time uh, because I record this early in the morning usually. I'm a morning person. Not everybody is a morning person, but uh, I like to be up before anybody else. Um, you know, the energy for me is clear. There's not so much uh, noise or mental interference or whatever's going on. So if you hear me sipping... that's coffee. I am a, um, bit of a coffee aficionado or coffee snob, as some people would, would call me. Um, I sometimes do drink awful coffee, but, um, when I have no other choice, but I do, uh, I love my coffee. It's, uh, it's definitely a vice that, um, <laughs> that if I, I, I don't think I've ever tried to give it up. I don't know that I would be able to at this point in my life, but I recognize that and I work with it. So today, I'm going to talk about a topic that is um, extremely important to me and has come up uh, quite a bit in my work lately, um, and that is the topic of mental health and spirituality and how they interplay. And of course, because I'm a shamanic practitioner, uh, I will talk about these things through my own lens, right? Through the lens of shamanism. So I'm not going to talk about mental health from the perspective of Judaism or Buddhism, even though I practice Buddhism. Um, you know, so obviously, my viewpoint is my viewpoint. The other thing I will say is that I am not a doctor or mental health professional, and so I am going to um, be speaking about mental health from a layperson's perspective, and uh, nothing I say here should take the place of any, you know, and I would say this to a client that I was working with as well, nothing I say should... Replace um, any sort of professional help you may be getting. If you're having um, questions or issues about mental health, and something I say contradicts um, something your doctor says or your therapist or whatever, um, they're obviously they know you and they are professionals and uh, they should you know what they say should supersede that. And and you know the stuff I'm talking about. This is just my viewpoint and my opinion. It's not advice in any way. Um, particularly in this podcast, and I, I do um, have pod, you know, episodes of this podcast where the things that I say are more practical. They're more, um, you know, instructive. It's more advice, and th- those will always be areas in which I do have expertise. I don't. Um, I, I try my best not to uh, talk about things or give advice on things that I don't know anything about. I think there's too much of that in the world. Um, all you have to do is spend some time on Facebook. And um, I have um, seen people uh, on Facebook, for example, say, oh, I have this health problem. And they'll you know post a photograph of um, you know, some skin condition or something. And then, what is this? And then instantly, you know, 100 people chime in. Oh, that's this, that's this. Oh, you should do this. You should do this with all this contradictory stuff. And when I see that, I'm like, you should go get that checked out by a doctor um, and not listen to medical advice from people who are not doctors um, but who have no shortages of opinion. So with regards to anything related to... Uh, you know, health, mental health included, you know, and we, in, in the United States anyway, we really, um, artificially divide health and mental health and dental health and vision health, uh, basically for financial purposes. Um, you know, a lot of insurance, uh, companies, we don't have universal health care in the United States. I think that's a shame, um, because most, the, you know, the vast majority of uh, developed countries in the world have that. And, you know, 30% of bankruptcies in the United States are, you know, include medical costs. Uh, you know, people lose their homes because they get sick. You know, good, hardworking people um, whose, you know, insurance doesn't cover everything. And particularly during the pandemic, people are... You know, getting getting uh, bills of tens of thousands of dollars from the hospitals. It's just our our way of doing things here is insane and unsustainable. And this is not a politi- political rant. It's not a political thing at all, and it doesn't have to be. It just doesn't make sense the way that we have a for for-profit healthcare system. Um, and I could rant about that for a long time, and I do have some expertise in uh in this, um in that uh, you know, I've 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 looked at these uh, you know, with with an expert. Um my you know, I was married to somebody who's an ex who is an expert in um healthcare and did uh graduate research in healthcare systems and that sort of thing. So um I'm not an expert but I talk to people who are who are and um None of what we do makes sense here. Anyway, so I'm going to talk about mental health and the intersection with spirituality. And one of the reasons this is so important to me is that uh, I have, you know, and I've talked about my own struggles with mental health. I write about them. I have written about them extensively. Um, I've written articles. I've had... uh, um, very recently, an article published um, an interview where I talked about um, using gratitude to help combat depression so and and uh, you know talked about the research behind that um, but I came into i 've always been a spiritual person so I would not say that I came into spirituality due to mental health issues but um, you know, sort of later on in my life, I went through a real mental and physical health crisis, and I, you know, didn't know then, but I know now that that would have been considered in many cultures a shamanic crisis, meaning that um, it is, ki- it, it's a uh, um, initiation Right. And in in some cultures, you have to go through a crisis such as that to become a shaman, to even start training to be a shaman. And so when I began my path to shamanism, it was part of my quest to regaining mental health. I had had um, PTSD undiagnosed for many, many years from childhood trauma. I went through some pretty severe stuff um, that I won't I won't describe in this program because I don't um, not that I haven't come to grips with it. uh, I have, I don't want to re traumatize anybody else. And there is, you know, there's this secondary trauma thing that happens. Um, You know, sometimes it happens to me when I hear uh, stories from clients or, or people that I love about trauma that they've experienced. Um, It's somewhat traumatizing to me because we, as human beings, most of us care about other people. And we can empathize. So I don't want that to happen. Um, And it's not really significant to the conversation, other than to say that I experienced fairly significant childhood trauma, Um, lived with what I, you know, and it lived with a lot of stuff. And I didn't, and it seemed really normal to me, you know, depression, dissociation, um, anxiety flashbacks. I had no idea for, for most of my life that these things weren't things that most people experience. Um, and you know, things kind of came to a head and I went through this like, you know, really big crisis. I lost, uh, I lost a tremendous amount of weight, not in a healthy way. Um, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was having panic attacks. I was having, uh, flashbacks, severe depression, all kinds of stuff going on. It was definitely a real crisis. And all along I have been, um, for many, many, many years of my life since a child, really, I have been an avid meditator and meditation. I'm, you know, certified from at least one organization to teach meditation. And, uh, it's important part of my life. And I would meditate daily to, to, um, uh, you know, to sort of help with things, to help with the anxiety, to help with, um, depression and everything else that was going on. And that wasn't, it was helping, it was helping, but it was too much. There was too much going on for, for just meditation to help that. And, um, one day I was meditating in my office and, um, I heard a very, very clear male voice say, You need to go learn shamanism. And this was a weird thing to me because I knew nothing about shamanism. I didn't understand what that word meant. I had heard the word, you know, I thought of, you know, um, people in South America or in um, Asia, you know, Siberia, Mongolia um, and Peru. And I thought, how am I going to learn shamanism? Like, how, how is that going to happen? But the voice is very compelling. And, um, I thought to myself, geez, you know, I don't, I live in the state of Maine in the United States. I don't live in Peru. I don't have the resources or the time to travel to Peru and find a teacher I don't know if they would even take somebody from you know the United States as a student. Like, how is this going to happen? So, um, as it turns out, where I live, there is a sizable and healthy shamanic community, um, and there are some amazing teachers here. Some of what I would consider the best, uh, best known in the you know in the world, and some of the best teachers are here. And I found my teacher and began my journey, and it has um, really turned my life around, changed my life in profound and significant ways. So again, this is not a prescription. If you are suffering from PTSD, I'm not telling you to go out and study shamanism. This just happened to be my path, and it happened to be a path that... um, provided a lot for me and a lot of support and a lot of what I needed as well as helping me, um, heal because it was a very, it's a healing path as well. And, um, you know, along the lines and I, and I went into it just, I'm going to work on myself. That was my original goal. And I had no inclination to help other people at that time. Um, Really, I was just wrapped up in my own stuff, and and I, you know, if I had even thought about it, I probably would have thought, well, how can I help other people? I can't even help myself at this point. Um. So over time, you know, over many years of training and and learning everything I could and and um, taking you know teacher teacher training and all of these things, um, I found out that I had a penchant for certain uh, types of work. I help a lot of people with trauma. Um, in the beginning, I think about a hundred percent of hundred percent for the first couple of years of practice of my clients, um, had childhood trauma and it wasn't because I was specifically advertising for that or whatever. I think there was what we call wound resonance, meaning, um, people could tell that I had been through the same things that they had, or, you know, similar things that they had been through so that was you know a lot of the clients who came to me came to me with uh trauma and and i worked with them and you know that there is a shamanic practice for treating trauma it's called soul retrieval that being said i think um i have always been an advocate of um sort of an overkill approach maybe like doing everything one can to affect one's uh situation. So if you had a health problem, for example, um, you know, let's say, let's say you found out you had diabetes and they put you on, um, prescription, you know, prescriptions for that, you know, maybe you were taking metformin, maybe you were taking insulin, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, and that is one angle of attack, right? That's one way of treating affecting this problem. Um, But what they would also recommend for you probably would be exercise and diet changes, right? And that would be, I think a fantastic idea, right? Let's, let's, let's go at this problem from multiple angles and, you know, uh, do, do everything you can within reason to, uh, to help yourself through, through a health issue. And so I think the same thing was true for me. Um, I'm definitely in that camp for mental health. Um, You know, I definitely um, was talking to therapists. I had, um, uh, I never went on medication per se, but I was taking supplements prescribed by a naturopath. Um, You know, I had some tests done and uh, my, my adrenals were off and my, serotonin and dopamine were low and, you know, a bunch of stuff was, was physically messed up. So, uh, worked on straightening that out, work, you know, diet, exercise, meditation, shamanic practice, I did everything I could. And I will say that, um, you know, they will tell you if you are diagnosed with PTSD, they will say there is no cure for PTSD. Um, and I don't know, what the definition of cure is medically, what, what what they would have to happen for there to be a cure. Um, I will say that I have been living pretty much 100% symptom-free for a very long time, for many, many years. So um, I'm, you know... Not going to argue with people who know more than I do about medical diagnoses and prognoses and all of that sort of thing. Uh, But what I do want to say is that I don't think, um, you know, I want to offer some hope if you are experiencing um, trauma symptoms. I don't think they have to be permanent, right? And that's the thing that gave me hope. When uh, things have come around again, or you know, started. You know, I went through something else traumatic, and um, you know, it sort of revivified a lot of this stuck stuff, and um, had a little bit of soul loss from that. And, um, you know, reminding myself, like, hey, listen, you know, you've got through this before. It's not permanent. You know, if you're feeling some depression or having flashbacks or whatever it's not a permanent state. You're not stuck there forever. And I think when I was going through the worst of my my crisis, um that that thought that this is how my life is going to be from now on, that thought uh was something that happened frequently for me and was um really devastating. So, um If I can help you in any way today and you are, you know, struggling in some way with, uh, any kind of mental health disorder, I, I, you know, I just want you to know that it's not, it's not, um, no state is ever permanent. Um, you can, you know, get treatment, you can work on yourself. There's all kinds of things. So how this has come into my life and my practice recently, um I'll I'll I'm gonna talk a lot about um the word psychosis, which, you know, is a is a you know medical term basically for having having a break with reality. And we talk about people having psychotic episodes or being diagnosed with conditions that include psychoses and all of these things. So having a break from reality, having what we might consider hallucinations and delusions and hallucinations being, um, having sensory, uh, sensing things that aren't real. Um, you know, seeing things, hearing things that quote unquote aren't real. And, um, having delusions, like believing, having beliefs that things aren't real. So, you know, a stereotypical um, thing, you know, paranoid delusions, or, you know, people are watching me, or, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, you know, hallucinations can be anything. Frequently, they're auditory. Who knows, when I was meditating and heard a male voice saying, you need to learn shamanism, I took that as a sign from spirit, it was very compelling, and I followed up on it. And um, you know, some people would say that that was an auditory hallucination. Uh, it, and it's hard, gosh, it's hard. You know, when I practice something like shamanism, it's hard to draw the line. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do that. And I, um, you know, I had a conversation with a therapist very recently, basically, you know, talking about how do I do that? How do I talk about mental health and psychoses when I, you know, I basically in journey, I'm experiencing an altered state of reality and, um, you know, seeing things that other people can't see. And how do like, you know, some people would consider that a hallucination or delusion or what have you. How do I put that in context? So I explain to people, um, Kind of the difference, so I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt really strongly to do that today um, because I think like it's important to me, and I think it's probably important to others. Um, so the way that this therapist explained it to me was that the difference, the difference between myself and what I do as a practice, and what people are going through who are having, um you know, experiencing a psychotic episode is that my work is contained. So when I journey, it is intentional. Um, it happens during a set period of time, you know, we'll call this the container. The journey is the container. I purposely alter my consciousness. I, you know, I tend to use drums or rattles. Um, I know what I know what I'm doing. I go into a theta brainwave state and, um, you know, I, I journey. And then when I, when I come back, I'm back. This isn't to say that sometimes I don't see or hear spirits uh, when I'm not journeying. Um, But when I do, when it happens and I've seen some weird stuff, I've definitely seen some paranormal stuff. Um, But I always question whether that's actually real. Right? So I'm, I, I'm questioning um, you know, okay I saw, I saw what appeared to be a woman on my back porch and when I, you know, I thought it was somebody and when I went around there was nobody there. Um, did I actually see that? Well, two other people saw the same thing. Okay. So, you know, and I know that uh, the mind plays tricks on us. Like we see faces and all kinds of things. People see faces and burnt pieces of toast and all kinds of stuff. And that is an effect that the mind does, where it's trying to make sense out of sensory input. So it places interpretation on things. But um if I experience something that is outside of uh you know, sort of normal reality for me, I do test that. I do reality testing. Like, okay, is this something I'm I've actually experienced? Did anybody else witness it? Or there is there Another potential explanation I try to as much as I can take a little bit of a scientific approach um, That's not always possible, and so things that I can't explain have not been witnessed by somebody else, and um, you know I take them for okay I had I had an experience and I don't quite know what to make out of it unless something else comes along to explain it. So, um, so that's, you know, that's a thing. Um, you know, very recently I have had, uh, quite a few people contact me looking for help or, um, uh, you know, looking to connect or, or what have you, um, who we would say from, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, somebody who was in a profession that was allowed to diagnose people would say they were having a psychotic episode. The difference being um, these people are experiencing things that are uh, outside of what we would consider normal reality. They're not at the time on drugs or meditating or doing any sort of shamanic journey. There's no, there's no container for it, right? This is just happening to them all the time, constantly during, during their waking time. They're also um, 100% convinced that all of it is real. Okay, so people who are having, um, you know, a psychotic episode think everything that they're seeing, hearing, experiencing is 100% real. So, you, you know, one thing you cannot really do with somebody who, if you encounter somebody who's having um, a psychotic episode, you would not uh, tell them that what they're experiencing isn't real. That would be like me telling you that your shoes aren't real. No, they're on my feet. Look at them. I can see them. They're right there. Um, That's the same level of, in my understanding, that's the same level of reality that these people are are experiencing. And and it's important... um, you know, if you encounter somebody like that, to be um, compassionate. And they, the recommendations that I've read also say do not, um, don't, don't question their reality, but don't, also don't feed into it. And that's a really hard, tightrope to walk. It has been for me. And the way that I get around or the way that I get through that is to talk about how they're feeling about what they're experiencing So, um, you know, somebody contacted me and, um, he sees the people around him as fallen angels who are out to get him and, uh, XYZ. And I said, wow, you know, it sounds like you're having some, something, you know, you're, sounds like you're very frightened. So I'm acknowledging how he's feeling. Okay. So I can be empathetic and compassionate in that way. Um, so, uh, So the, you know, the delusional part is the belief. The delusional part is the, what is real, okay? And that isn't, isn't sort of matching up. So, um, so the big question becomes, um, are these people who are having these psychotic breaks having spiritual experiences, um, that are, you know, somewhat uncontrolled or whatever, or, um... Is it just stuff their mind is making up? That's a hard question for me to answer. But my take on it is this. I think um, people who are, who are going through that are taking in a whole bunch of input, right? Just, uh, you know, a whole bunch of input from, you know, non-sensory input so we'll say that you know some mechanism has some mechanism of consciousness has gone awry and the filters that are normally there um aren't and you know the the mind becomes overwhelmed and tries to make sense out of the input that comes in and um and so you know people see fallen angels and demons and um, all kind, all kinds of things. So some of that input might be from spiritual realms. So people might be operating at a level where they're, you know, perceiving what we might call the middle world, um, in which, you know, middle world spirits, when I journey, there are a lot of them and they come in lots of different forms. Um, and, uh, but they're not, you know, they're not doing a journey that not in, it's not in a container where they're like, okay, I can stop experiencing these things now. Um, they, they can't. Um, so then, you know, a question was put to me recently um, by somebody who is becoming a student of mine who asked me, you know, is it true that um, in some cultures you had to have had a psychotic break or something to uh, become a shaman? Um, and that is relatively true. There are, you know, there's this idea of the shamanic crisis, meaning, um, in some cultures, what we call shamanic cultures that, you know, they're cultures where there, you know, there is a role of shaman that is, you know, a historical and ongoing part of the culture, um, to be chosen to, you know, to be, uh, initiated into shamanism and to learn from a shamanic elders and that sort of thing one has to have gone through um, some kind of crisis and that could be mental health if it could be physical in some places you know getting hit by lightning um, you know there's all kind you know there's all kinds of things and there are cultures where shamanism is hereditary there's cultures so there's different ways of choosing but um, you know in effect you had to have gone through, um, you know, some kind of crisis. So it leads me to a really important point about uh, spiritual help for mental health issues. So again, um, you know, if somebody comes to me and they have um, some sort of, uh, you know, severe mental health. Issue. I'm going to recommend. In fact, I'm probably going to insist that they work. Uh, they work with a doctor or and or therapist first, and coordinate with me. And I have had. Uh, I've had. Um. You know. I've had lots of experiences with clients who are like. Um. You know. Asking me, is it okay if I tell my therapist about you? And I'm like, well, actually, I think it would be a really good idea if you told your therapist about me and the work that we're doing together. And, um, you know, if there's any way we can coordinate, that would be fantastic. And I've had, you know, met lots of really supportive people in both the medical community and, um, therapeutic community. Um, lots of people that I have trained with are in fact physicians, which I think is an interesting thing. Um, not like it it's not contradictory in my opinion that these are scientifically minded people with medical training um who are studying a, a spiritual field um you know i don't I don't take contradiction from that it might on the surface seem contradictory, but these people are healers, and um you know they recognize they recognize that this is part of their path and that people Aren't just um, machines. They're not just collections of um, biological material that were body, mind, and spirit. And so there are multiple—you know—there are multiple dimensions to every human being. So you know, somebody who's in the midst of a uncontrolled psychotic episode, um, who would come to me, um, I would try to help them and steer them towards help. Um, but I wouldn't work with them shamanically. And this is not because I am being cruel or uncaring or unempathetic. I am absolutely empathetic and compassionate towards people who are suffering in any way. Um, But... And, you know, and people have asked, well, you know, in, in shamanic cultures, they, they would just go to a, go to a shaman. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's true. Because they, you know, for one, they don't have, um, you know, in some of these cultures, they don't have access to, um, to as modern healthcare as we have here. But there's a second part of that. And so in... You know, in some of these cultures, and I've read, um, you know, I've read about instances from, you know, Africa and um, South and Central America and Asia, um, you know, Tibet in particular, where, you know, somebody somebody is going through, uh, you know, experiencing psychosis, you know, maybe they would be diagnosed with schizophrenia or something um, by modern doctors, and they're brought to, um, you know, they're brought to a shaman. And what happens sometimes in these cases is that the person is taken in. They might even move in with the shaman, and the shaman works with them, you know, twenty-four hours a day, right? And they provide community for them. The community gathers around them. That's that in itself is amazingly healing. Um, and you know, they're they're working for long periods of time, 24 hours a day. Um, I, I can't, I can't do that for somebody. And, um, even if I could, uh, even if my life would manage it, like we don't live in a culture that supports that. We don't live in a tribal culture where people would gather around like that and work on somebody's you know, recovery from a crisis. So while it's true that shamanic healing has been used for millennia to treat people going through crises like this, um, modern shamanism isn't adapted well for that. Right? When I see um, clients, it's usually for a couple hours at a time you know, and not every day, um, you know, not even usually once a week. I usually, you know, if I see clients repeatedly, it might be, you know, three, five, six weeks apart, um, particularly if there's soul retrieval work going on and they have time to do that. But also most people have, um, you know, most people have other lives that they have to attend to. They have bills to pay. We don't live, we live in a society where, you know, You have to have money to to live. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, when people come to me and they're, they're, uh, you know, in my opinion, um, really suffering from a psychotic episode and they've lost complete touch with reality and they want help because they think that um, gods and goddesses and demons and things like that are after them. Um, you know, I have to try to steer them towards competent medical mental health help. And, you know, if they can get that and they can get stabilized and, you know, I would work with their therapist or their doctor, um, if, you know, if they can get stabilized and work on some healing with them. Uh, because I think those things can work really well in tandem. But um, I, above all, do my absolute best to practice impeccable ethics. And it would be unethical for me to take somebody on that I knew would not be helped. Um, and in fact, might be harmed, right? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if... What I do and if I do, you know, some sort of spiritual work with somebody, if it's going to make the break worse, the break from reality, I I don't know that. And so that concerns me, concerns me that uh, about anybody that, you know, I've never left a client worse off than when they came in. And um, I hope to never, ever have that happen. Um, I would feel absolutely terrible and I would worry that I have violated my sense of ethics in some way. So, um, you know, again, like I'm not, I'm not going to, um, work with somebody who refuses to get other help and who is in a condition that I can't, um, I can't affect, I can't affect effectively. And so, uh, so that sort of, you know that's sort of that part of it. Um, you know that being said, somebody who is uh, experiencing depression or uh, some other things, you know, shamanic healing can can frequently be very helpful for that. And again, I think it's important to work in tandem with your other with your other professionals because we we don't live in a culture where you would move into my uh, move into my home and I would you know we would uh, work together. 24 hours a day to work on whatever was happening. And that does happen still some places in the world. Um, there are, you know, uh, healers where you go live with them for a period of time, you yeah, know, maybe a month or two, maybe longer. Um, but that's not the world. That's not the culture that I live in. And um, my 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 life and the way that the world is set up around me doesn't can't really affect that um so that's sort of on the on the topic of uh psychosis and you know i i've struggled with this for a while because i don't ever want to see judge seem judgmental towards people who are having mental health issues because you know First of all, nobody nobody wants that. Nobody is in control of that. I didn't want to have PTSD. I didn't want to experience anxiety and depression. Um, and I, if I could have made it go away, I would. Uh, but we have this weird thing, uh, maybe not where you live, but here where we kind of, um, p- you know, treat people with uh, mental illness, uh, you know, we kind of stand back from them a little bit. Like there's a lot of weird stigma around mental illness in the United States. And, and, you know, I've seen it in other countries as well, but um, definitely in the United States where I live, there's still stigma around mental health. It's becoming less, you know, and lots of people talk about talking to therapists and stuff. And um, I think that's healthy. I think, um, you know, having the conversation, there's, you know, increasing conversation about mental health, I see from athletes and movie stars and stuff. And as much as, you know, as much as people look up to those, you know, people in those roles, I guess that, you know, that's a good thing, you know, to bring it to light that the people that people look up to everybody, every walk of life, every socioeconomic status, every um, level of education, everything, um, you know, Mental illness doesn't discriminate. And so it's, you know, it's really important that we are kind and compassionate and try to understand, try to understand when somebody is depressed. This was a, this was a big one for me. Um, You know, and I experienced depression as a result of my PTSD and there was all kinds of um, messages out there. That is like, you know, well, if you're feeling depressed, just take a walk in the woods. And a walk in the woods is helpful, but it didn't, it didn't cure me. It didn't solve my problem. And, you know, some people, when you describe or, or say, you know, I, I'm feeling depressed or I have depression, they're like, well, you know, what do you have to be depressed about? Um, and the answer to that is there does not have to be a mean there doesn't have to be a reason for someone to be depressed. Yes, you can have a depressed mood for a reason. I you know, um depression can be part of the grieving process, right? So somebody close to me dies, I get very sad about that, and that's a reason. but that's not how depression works. Um, yes. Depression will lead to thoughts. So, you know, what happens, at least from my perspective, is you have these horrible feelings. There is more to depression than feeling sad. Trust me, there are, it is sometimes physically painful. Um, You can, somebody with um, severe depression, you can draw their blood and they will have the same inflammatory markers in their blood as somebody with the flu. So, think about how you felt when you've had the flu pretty darn lousy, right? You don't want to get out of bed. You feel weak, you don't want to move, you can't think straight. So besides being incredibly sad or having very low mood or having no emotion, which is, you know, can happen as well, having really flat level of emotion. Depression actually hurts sometimes. And it is and it makes you weak, and it makes you not able to sleep, and it makes you all kinds of things. Um, It can make you gain and lose weight. I lost, um, an interesting note, I lost 60 pounds, and not in a very healthy way, and I really didn't have any more to lose. My doctors were concerned about my health. Um, I just couldn't, couldn't eat. My appetite was gone. Very similar to if you've ever been really sick with the flu, <clears throat> excuse me and you don't feel like eating so um yeah so i you know i took i took some supplements and tried to help with that so um there's a physical aspect as well so you know the, the things that are people like well what do you have to be depressed about or you know just don't feel sad anymore or you know whatever you know if people with severe depression could choose not to be depressed they would trust me on that nearly 100% of the time. It is not a choice in the same exact way that people with cancer do not choose to have cancer. And if they chose, if they could choose not to have cancer, they would, nobody would choose to have cancer. Nobody chooses to have depression. Um, Trust me. It is, it is sometimes suffering to a magnet. If you've never experienced it before, um, you know, g- good. That's good. Um, but if you've ever experienced severe depression, it is like nothing else. It is, it is just suffering. And so we need to have compassion for people who are suffering because they're human beings and they deserve it. And they deserve, it does not matter what your diagnosis with anything Is or if you have no diagnosis, as a human being, you deserve love. You deserve more love, not less. And so um, sometimes in some places the way we treat people who are suffering with mental health issues is um, extremely inhumane, and we don't have to go very far back in history to see that, and we don't have to go... Uh, we don't have to go back at all. You know, we can see, um, you know, people people living on the streets, you know, and there was a study at one point, I don't know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that at least 25% of people living on the street, people with, you know, who are homeless, had diagnosed mental health problems. A good portion of them probably... Um, had undiagnosed mental health problems, which were not made better by being homeless, certainly exacerbated. We also, um, you know, stuff happens and we tend to um, put a lot of people uh, with mental health issues in jail and prison um, because sometimes there is Criminal behavior. Although I will say this, that um, most criminal behavior is not committed by people with a mental health issue. That's another um, thing. And people, um, people who are, you know, schizophrenic or depressed or have anxiety or whatever, are not more likely to commit violence um, against other people. So sometimes there's this fear that people who are quote unquote crazy, and I realize that is a hateful term, but I'm using it. Um, in that context here, like people who say these things are, are misunderstanding and being cruel and bigoted. So people who are suffering and create, you know, people who are crazy are likely to, you know, be dangerous and hurt them. Um, the, the opposite is the truth is the truth. People with um, mental health conditions are actually more likely to be victims of violence than to be perpetrators because we don't, you know, we don't protect, we don't protect people and they very often become marginalized and, um, don't receive the help that they need and are in a, you know, in, in precarious positions, you know, where they can be abused and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So as spiritual people, it behooves us to be the, um, to be the example of people, of how um, people are to be treated in the world. And, you know, the golden rule, whether you are a Christian or Buddhist or something else, the, you know, the golden rule is, you know, treat other people as you yourself would want to be treated. Would you want people to marginalize you or... um make up stories about you about what you know you're or not give you help if you were suffering and needed it. And so that applies, you know, that applies and um, being being spiritual that should apply even more because you should realize the reality of that. You should realize that we're all connected. And, you know, the way that we treat everyone, um, you know, comes back to us because we're connected. So it's really important to take these things into consideration. Um, so I'm not going to have, you know, normally when I do these podcasts, I may wrap up with some really specific recommendations about, um, things you can do. You know, when i talked about um, ancestors, ancestral spirits recently, you know, I talked about things like you might set up an altar or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not going to offer some really concrete advice today. And the reason is, as I outlined in the beginning, um, you know, I don't know like if you're listening to this and you have some cor- sort of diagnosis or you know somebody who has some sort of diagnosis Um you know that's not something I can. I, I don't know, and I, I can't give you some general advice about that. I will say this though: um, if you, you know, I think pursuing spirituality, along in whatever form that takes for you, along with the other things that you can do to ensure your health, um, helps to create a more rounded healing experience, and can be very healing. I do think that if you are um, suffering from a break with reality, that um, you should be careful about the types of things, the type of so things and information that you consume. So, um, the person I spoke to recently who was seeing fallen angels everywhere had, you know, was, I'm sure, um, in the middle of a psychotic episode. He went to bed one night with, uh, you know, m- movies about fallen angels playing on his TV. And he woke up the next morning and all he was seeing was fallen angels. So I'd be super careful about that sort of thing. Um, you know, the, the problem is, again, the, the delusional part of, the, of psychosis is that uh, you believe that all of these things are real. Um, as much as if you're not, you know, uh, you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting at a, a table, and I n- knock on the table, and this feels real to me, and I can see it, and I believe this table is real and exists in 3D reality. Um, that is as real as the things that you know, things that people are experiencing um, in psychosis, right? So, um, how, you know, how does that, how does that play? Um, you know, how do, so the, tr- you know, so the trouble is people believe this stuff is real. So they don't think they necessarily need help with mental health, although they're suffering. So they might, might reach out, um, but they might reach out to somebody like me and I will always try to steer them towards mental health help. And I hope other spiritual practitioners would do the same. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you practice, if it's, you know, Reiki or some other form, you know, some energy healing or some sort of other spiritual healing. Um, do the right thing, please. You know, steer these people towards resources that can get them stabilized in, you know, into into reality, and then then work with them. You know, work with them on healing the suffering after, you know, after you get that, help them get some help. And, and, you know, most of the time people are not going to want to hear that they're not going to want to hear, but you know, the hear that they need some help, you know, and the vast majority of the, the people who contact me in cases like this, um, you know, I'll ask them, have, do you have any mental health diagnosis? Are you on many, any, medication? Uh, they will very frequently tell me I was on antipsychotic medication and it made me feel bad. So I stopped taking it. Um, so it is really hard to convince, um, convince somebody who, who is, uh, you know, who's going through that, who has experienced, who has been on medication and made the conscious decision to stop because it was making them feel so bad, um, to go back and, and seek some health and help and get stabilized. Um, but you have to try. We have to do what we can. Because it's, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not working to heal people and help people in the, uh, in the best possible way, then, you know, in the way that's best for them, regardless of your personal prejudices or need to earn money or anything else, then you're not being ethical, in my opinion. And I would say, uh, you know, most, if not all spiritual practitioners I know are extremely ethical. Um, I've only run across a couple of cases where I felt people had overstepped a little bit. Um, Not consciously ever. Um, I haven't run into that where somebody's been like, oh, I'm going to take this person for a ride. But that is out there, certainly. Certainly, it's out there that um, you know there are people who are looking to take advantage of other people. Um, fortunately, nobody who is who is my friend or they wouldn't be my friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I take ethics um, extremely important, and you know the people that I have learned from. So my my te- my main teacher, especially um, if she got wind, she she got wind one time. Uh, that some somebody had talked to me about um, teaching a specific class, and there was a misunderstanding about it. Um, there was a misunderstanding on my part, um, for sure. And I thought they were asking for one thing, um, and they were asking for something else that I would not that I would not have agreed to and not have taught. And she got wind of it, and she she got in touch with me immediately, and she said, "Well, you know, this person." uh, you know, expects to learn this from you. And I go, Oh no, 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 no. Okay. I'm sorry. So, um, so my teacher and then her, you know, and her teacher before her, um, you know, really just call people to the mat for ethical reasons. And when I teach, um, I always talk a lot about ethics and, you know, there's specific, um, you know, there's specific ethical rules in shamanism. There aren't really rules, but ethical guidelines um, that I follow that I teach as well. Um, things like I don't work on people without their permission. Um, with very rare exceptions to that. Exceptions would be somebody's, you know, actually physically unconscious, like in a coma or something, and cannot cannot consent to something. Um, but consent's super important. And um, again, like even if I thought somebody, uh, if somebody was conscious um, and having a mental health crisis and I felt like, you know, somebody might think that they are not in a condition to give consent, I probably still would not work with that person. It's just too close to the ethical boundaries for me, so um, I keep very, <laughs> I keep very tight boundaries around what I do, the work that I'll do. I don't, I won't take on work that I don't, um, have an affinity or skill for, you know, so, um, you know, this is a little off topic, but, um, you know, for example, I absolutely love and adore animals. I love wildlife. I love pets, but I don't do animal work. I'm, it's not a skill that I have. And I have other, you know, there are other people I know who are fantastic with um, doing work on animals. And I have assisted people who are working on animals. Um, but if somebody came to me and said, you know, I want you to do, can you do a healing on my dog who is, you know, uh, going through some stuff or, or whatever, um, I would not. I would say, um, you know, thank you for contacting me. I don't do that type of work but I would be very happy to refer you to somebody who does and who I think is a fantastic practitioner. So there's another, you know, another piece of ethics is not to go beyond, uh, have a reasonable, have a reasonable idea about what you can do. um, And don't go beyond that in a way that somebody could be, you know, paying for something or losing time or, um, you know, what have you. So, you know, if a friend came to me and said, Hey, um, you know, do you think you could work on my dog? And it wasn't sort of a, like, you know, uh, you know, I might say something like, it's not really my work. I-, I could try it, you know, that sort of thing. I might still not even in that c- circumstance, but in, in a professional setting, I would not, I would not work beyond my skills. So, um, You know, I'm just speaking to practitioners out there. If you're listening to this and you're a practitioner, um, really try to work with people um, and have them get the professional, you know, whatever you feel of the (laughs) medical establishment, um, try to get them the professional help they need from licensed professionals. um, Even if you can, you know, can decide to continue to work with them, work in tandem And, you know, you'll find that there are, there are doctors and therapists and nurses and nurse practitioners out there who are very open to, um, energy healing and shamanic healing and all of that sort of thing. So with that, I'm going to wrap up for the day. Um, I hope this has been helpful. And, um, I would encourage you if you are, you know, if you are somebody who is, um, suffering from any sort of mental health, um, disorder, you know, please reach out for help. Please get the help that you need. Um, it, it is out there. It can be challenging to find, but it is completely worth it. Um, you know, it's worth it to get better and you deserve, um, you know, you deserve to feel joy. You deserve every bit of, love and compassion in the world. Um, Just from the, the sheer fact that you exist, you deserve all of that. So look out for yourselves. I love you all. And I will talk to you next time. been listening to Speaking Spirit, with your host, John Moore. For more info, or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com, that's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.